Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the boneheads, Ryan Howard, and we are proud to be presented by Valor Studios, a TTRPG content creation community who loves sharing our stories with the world. As I said, my name is Ryan Howard, and this is Roland Bones. For anyone who is a first-time viewer, this is a tabletop talk show where I bring on guests who create games, create content all around the tabletop world, and talk to them about the work that they're doing. And if you guys want to find out more information about this show or any other show that we're doing here at Valor Studios, please visit ValorStudios.com. Uh, also join us in uh, Discord. The Discord link will be over on the, uh, the chat that you can see over here uh, beside my face. You can also find all of our content after the fact on YouTube. If you missed a stream or if you just like what you saw so much that you really, really want to watch it again, or if you want to share the links with other people, you can do so on the YouTube channel. Uh, for anyone watching this on YouTube, we are so glad that you're uh, engaging with us in that way. Definitely like and subscribe. And for those of you joining us live here on Twitch, uh, definitely click the subscribe button below me here, especially if you are an Amazon Prime uh, member. That is a free subscription, and, you know, we appreciate any support that you can give us in that regard. And if you have any questions that you want to, uh, you know, ask us throughout the course of the conversation, uh, feel free to drop it in chat, and the uh, producer, James, will pass it on to myself and my guest, and we will, uh, you know, do our best to answer your question. And, uh, you know, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's supporting us through all of our various uh, ways and means. Especially, uh, you know, those of you who are listening on audio, those of you who are watching on YouTube, and those of you who are watching live. For anyone on audio or YouTube uh, who wants to join us live and be a part of the discussion, twitch.tv slash Valor Studios is the place to go for that. We're live every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. So, without further ado, you may be wondering why I am clad in a Hawaiian shirt right now. Uh, I am also drinking a margarita for anyone who thinks that uh, I sound a little bit weird tonight. That, that that might be a contributing factor, but a tropical breeze has blown into Rolling Bones this evening because we are talking with the mind behind Dandelion Games. One of my favorite people in the gaming world, Luau Lu, is returning here to Rolling Bones. Lou, welcome to the show. Hey Ryan, thanks for having me. Folks, this guy knows how to live, you know? Margarita, wine shirt, that's paradise right there. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. We, we need to get some Rolling Bones Hawaiian shirts. I, I'm envisioning a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt that's got like palm trees and then the bone logo, the bonehead logo just all over it. I, I don't know how to do that. I've looked into it a couple times. I, I want a Rolling Bones Hawaiian shirt. And if I got one, I would give you one uh, free of charge, Lou. Awesome. And I would wear it around probably at every convention. Nice. I love it. I love it. Cool. Well, Lou, you are not just on here because I like talking with you, although I do. You've also got a couple uh, Kickstarter campaigns that are coming up, most uh, notably Pretty soon here, you're going to be launching the campaign for the second in your uh, Classics Mutated line for Mutant Crawl Classics. I'll hold up the first here for anyone curious. Yeah. The uh, The second one will be the Time Lost Citadel. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about uh, the genre of fantasy that this game is set in. We're going to talk a little bit about Dare Luck Club as well for anyone who caught the, uh, the first interview that Lou did. But... I promised you before we started the show that I would have a stupid question for you to open the show uh, completely out of left field, something you probably haven't even thought about today, but I have. Lou, what is your opinion right. of the song Tequila by the Champs? The the song that Pee Wee Herman danced hmm. to, that that song. What is What are your thoughts on it, it's Tequila? One of those, it, it's one of those songs that, that brings the world together because any song that you have it's got that kind of energy but has you know like literally one word to the whole song we all can sing it doesn't matter what nation you're from so i love that song it's great that that is better than i was expecting i was expecting you to be like i hate that song <laughs> or or something like that i i don't know i i had nightmare scenarios in my head of what uh me asking you about tequila would turn into but I remember uh, when uh, when Big Adventure came out and it kind of made that song, you know, big again. Uh, I don't know. It was like 85, 86, something like that. Uh, I remember, <laughs> you know, anytime it came on the radio, me and all my friends trying to get on our tiptoes and doing the Pee Wee Herman dance, you know, pure <laughs> <laughs> goobs, such goobs. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you bring up an interesting point. That's one of those songs. Anytime you hear it, uh, you know, when you get to that certain point, everyone's going to yell tequila, no matter no matter what the, the circumstances, someone's going to try and do the dance. Uh, you know, it's you know, that song has a lot of uh, a lot of like kind of cachet built up pop culture wise. It's almost like uh, th there's this comedian I saw. He, he told this joke about no matter where you are in the country, uh, if you're in a band and you start playing the opening chords to Sweet Home Alabama, the crowd's going to go crazy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. it's know. it's one of those great songs it's for some reason got stuck in my head this morning and i've been listening to it all day so i you know i god knows where it came from but it's it's just one of those enduring classics and i'm glad that you don't hate that song <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, it, it is one thing though to have it stuck in your head. I didn't. I didn't think about that scenario. Uh, that, that could be torturous after a while. I think. Mm -hmm. I, I'm one of these guys that like. I know a lot of songs, but there's a handful of songs that I only know like one bit of a verse of. And if I get stuck with that song and it's just going through that one verse over and over again, 
Oh man, I just want to find the power drill and like put it through my temple, man. Mm-hmm. Torture is torture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, on a more uh, serious note, uh, you do have this campaign coming up for the Time Lost Citadel. So if you could explain uh, to anyone unfamiliar with, uh, you know, what, what you're doing in Classics Mutated and what you're doing with Time Lost Citadel, uh, please do so. Sure, yeah. So Classics Mutated was an idea I had a few years back. It's actually kind of stems from the same idea I had uh, where I started my podcast, This Old Dungeon. This, this idea about, you know, as role players, as game masters, typically we'll take something and we'll almost never run it verbatim. We'll almost always want to just kind of add our own little spices into it. And I thought, well, you know, when, when I started playing MCC, I, I thought, you know, this is a game that really can can encompass any adventure. You know, I could pull stuff from Call of Cthulhu off my shelf. I could pull stuff from Paranoia. And there's a way to make it work within the, the, the crazy, you know, um, irradiated world of Mutant Crawl Classic. And so I thought, well, what if, you know, I purposely took something and, and redesigned it to be MCC? And I, I, I try really hard to make sure that I'm not just, like, changing stats. I mean, like, for example, you know, Seekers of the Unknown is going to be awfully similar to other games you may or may not have played. Um, but I, I did not just take it and, and change it, you know, over verbatim. I took the concept of what's going on there. I tried I tried to go through and I, like, make, like, a little note list of what are the key encounters that are, like, just totally touchstones to that adventure that everybody talks about, that everybody knows. And then how do you take those and convert them uh, to make them about a, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic world or, or whatever in, in this coming up case, a, a sword and planet adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the time I'm done, people that play it, even if they've played the other module, it's still new and fresh to them because of the way it's been redone. Uh, and there's value there because of that. And people that haven't played the old one, they don't even know because it's, you know, it's got its own kind of concept to it. It's got its own plot going, and it just kind of hits on just the right notes to let you know that, hey, this is an homage to this other thing. Um, so that's kind of the concept of, of uh, uh, Classics Muted. It's just taking taking something old from a game system, uh, an old adventure, and changing it into kind of an MCC sort of paradigm. Absolutely. And for anyone, again, unfamiliar, this... Mutant Crawl Classics is the game that uh, this is compatible with. Uh, it is the slimmest of the uh, DCC-related books, uh, with Dungeon Crawl Classics being a hefty tome, and uh, Weird Frontiers being something that you could drop out of the like second story of your house and kill someone passing by with, apparently. D- Dave showed me that book, and my goodness, that is a brick. Yes, it is. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I've never, I, I don't, I think my grandma's like um, heritage edition Bible is the mm-hmm. only book I've ever seen that's as big as that. You know, she had one of those big ones with the like little little brass claw on it that closes it mm-hmm. up and everything. But man, that that thing's a tome. Oh my goodness, it's, it's huge. Yeah, it. I, uh, I didn't even uh, think about that. It really is like pulpit Bible size. That oh my goodness. <laughs> Maybe so, uh, in the, go ahead. 
I would just maybe Dave should invest in like a brass uh like skeleton hand claw that you can use to turn the pages with it. Yeah. That would that would be some wicked stuff. Get a little add on like that. Oh That'd yeah. Nice. Absolutely. Um so at any rate the uh so the first edition uh Seekers of the Unknown um in it the the Seekers which is what MCC calls their their adventuring party. Uh, they happen upon this underground bunker that's left over from a time back when uh, Terra, which is what they call Earth, was being invaded by these Martians. And uh, so you, you go into this bunker and there's all sorts of stuff there, all sorts of super tech and all this. Um, and there's a scene in it where you get into this big hangar room, this big underground hangar that has no way for the vehicles to get out, but it has this massive, what appears to be like a TV screen on the wall. And the TV screen's looking out into the uh, the panorama of a, a red planet, you know, with the you know big crevasses, and in the distance there's a step pyramid. And uh, it's, it's broken when the characters find it, but the idea is if they monkey with it, they could make it work. And it's actually a space uh, space gate where things can launch through it into that world. Um, so from there, that brings us into the new one, the Time Lost Citadel, which takes place on the red planet. Um, and it's, it's written in a way that if you don't have the other one or don't want to use that adventure, you basically can just kind of put that space gate in some little cave anywhere and kind of have almost the John Carter effect where, you know, you, you go into a cave and find a thing that transports you to the red planet. Um, and then once you're on the planet, a big part of the game is survival because, uh, even though it's not, you know, like a true Mars environment where it's like no oxygen or what have you, uh, it is a harsh environment. It's cold. It's, it's oxygen thin. Um, so the uh, the seekers got to struggle through, you know, combing that wilderness. Uh, and then there's in uh, in kind of an homage to the uh, the game it may or may not have came uh, from. Um, there's all these uh, kind of different uh, sects, different different um, clans or whatever on the planet. And that's a, a thing that's you know pretty common in, in a sword and planet adventures you, you have those those different uh, groups that are warring or that have different you know culture clashes and then the person that's alien there the, the, the human or the earthling that gets transported there has to figure that out has to figure who to ally with and and how to bring some of them together to, to conquer a you know a tertiary one or what have you and so that's what we've got we've got martians um uh that, that are magic wielding that uh are in service of this like almost demonic being uh, called Goznar, and uh, he, he through, through sacrifices he grants them magic, and uh, they found that the, the Terrans make great sacrifices that their life essence is you know very transferable to this magic energy, so they've kind of baited the players into coming onto their planet through different things, and uh, they're, they're basically trying to set them up to, to gather them up as sacrifices to Goznar and to create like a whole you know, kind of, um, kind of a, a um, oh, conveyor system where they, they can continue to get other tribes from Terra to come onto the Red Planet to sacrifice them. And so uh, one of the things, I mean, some people are like, well, why'd you go with magic? And, and isn't that kind of outside of MCC? But so one of the things that I realized when I started writing this, because originally I was just going to have it be alien technology, but because your characters are Stone Age kind of tech level in MCC, you're already, I mean, the, the post-apocalyptic world is full of alien technology because it's from the ancients and your characters don't understand it. 
So I, I realized very early on in writing when I was putting it on another planet that just having other alien tech wasn't exciting. It was kind of the same scenario scenario you've already been through. Yep. So uh, we went with the magic leaning. And that allows you to kind of bring magic into your game if you want, but then there's also kind of a, a way to write it off too so that when the characters return, you don't have the, the whole magic thing coming back if you don't want. Um, so it's, it's got a lot going on in it. It's a... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. I'm just really excited oh, about it. Uh, uh, it's um, it's 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 got a whole hex crawl portion of it, and then it gets into the step pyramid, into that like tomb crawl. It's got the pulp fiction sort of feel. You know, Indiana Jones as you're going through the tomb, and there's all the traps and stuff. But yet it also has the the sword and planet feel of of a John Carter, uh, you know, sort of line. Yeah, absolutely, and. It also gives kind of an interesting, um, it, it, an interesting opportunity for you to bring Dungeon Crawl Classics kind of further into line with Mutant Crawl Classics, which a lot of people have been doing uh, recently. I know uh, Skeeter's Skeeter Green's head space has kind of been in that realm with his uh, Crypt of the Science Wizard, and so this is yet another opportunity for you to take. Uh, mutant crawl classics and and mix it together with dungeon crawl classics and to to answer m boogers in the chat here uh the two games that we'll be talking about largely tonight are dungeon crawl classics uh from goodman games and it's uh mutated post-apocalyptic little brother mutant crawl classics which i have right here uh so those are the two kind of main books that will be most useful if you want to pick up Lou's Classics Mutated Adventures and run them for uh, your friends and your loved ones, which you should, as the <laughs> proud owner of Volume 1. Yeah, and, uh, and you're exactly right. I mean, I, I, I really was happy to be able to kind of marry those two together in my own way. Because, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, are you familiar with Thundar the Barbarian? Yes. Okay, so... To me, that's really what I want to eventually hit with my own campaign world uh, in Mutant Call Classics is to have that, oh, there's some magic going on, but there's also technology. And um, and this was a way for me to, to do it, not only for myself, but to any for anyone else that wanted to, to go in that direction. Yep. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I really wanted to talk about with this being a sword and planet adventure, um, that is a whole sub-genre of fantasy that just isn't around anymore it, it's no one talks about it no one really tries to make anything in that particular world and there are a couple reasons for it but before we dive into kind of the the deep of sword and planet what has been your experience with that particular uh sub-genre of fantasy you know what do you like about it uh, what was your entry point? Talk a little bit about your initial exposure and uh, kind of enthrallment with uh, Sword and Planet. Sure. Yeah. Um, so back in the early 2000s, uh, under a different company called Wholesome Entertainment, I published my first role-playing game, which was called Century's Edge. And it was a Victorian-era role-playing game that was played uh, you know, pretty straightforward out of the novels of the Victorian era. And to get ready for that game, I read like everything. Um, you know, anything I get my hands on from the, the, the late 1800s I read, uh, early 1900s. Um, and, and I gotta say, there's 
so much good literature from that time period. Uh, stuff that I never even imagined, like um, uh, Gaston's uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera. If you've never read that as a book, it is phenomenal. It is nothing like you've experienced it, the like play or in the movies or whatever. It's a really, really good book. But at any rate, that's non sequitur there. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I ended up reading was a lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff and uh, a few others that um, I just leave in my mind at the current time. But um, it, it was fascinating to me, that direction, the idea of, you know, exploring um, a planet, you know, far from, from Earth where there's, you know, all this alien environment and all these nuances that are different than what you, you know, expect on Earth, all these exotic creatures. And, um, you know, it's it, the idea that anything can happen is, you know, it's, it's so much different than any other realm of fiction when, when you realize going into it that, you know, around the next corner, you, you're just as likely to run into a robot as you are, you know, a sorcerer or a dragon or whatever. Um, and, you know, even as a kid, I mean, uh, a big part of my childhood uh, was the whole time of Masters of the Universe, right? And that's sort of dabbling in the sword and planet genre. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's such a cool aesthetic to it, too. I mean, visually, like yeah, all the art from those old dime novels and, and the box art from Masters of the Universe, you look at that stuff and it's so evocative. <clears throat> oh, yeah. And, and just to put a pin in the question that I just asked, um, I, a slight dig digression here. I did not know that you essentially made League of Extraordinary Gentlemen the role-playing game. Uh, is Can can people still get that? Is that still available? Uh, it's, it, 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 I, I think there's a bunch of illegal downloads of it available across the internet. Um, I am looking at redoing it. It's it, it was my first shot out at writing a role-playing game uh, publicly. I mean, I had a lot before that, you know, that I played with my friend. But uh, there's some things about it that uh, it had a really cool dice mechanic. It had a dice mechanic where for every attribute, you rolled two dice. One was your positive die and one was your negative die. And whichever one rolled higher, you took that result on a success chart. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It, uh, probably my best adventure I ever wrote was for that system. It's a, an adventure called The Penny Dreadful for Your Thoughts. And it's, uh, it, it was like a Twilight Zone episode. It, but I, again, I'm digressing. But um, eventually, I would like to, under my new company, uh, pull that all back up in, the, in, in InDesign and, and edit out the stuff it didn't need and, and, and refine it down to just, just the system it, it needed to have, um, which was the big problem back then. Is I didn't realize back then that, that, you know, less is more. You know, I didn't really get that concept as a game designer. I I can't express to you how much I want this game. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if I, uh, you, you, you get me your address and you'll you'll get a, a copy of it. Now they're they're really rough. The ones I got left are like printer seconds, and they fall apart real easy and stuff. But yeah, I'll, I'll send you one. That I. There was something about both. I'm one of those weirdos who loves the movie League of Extraordinary Gentlemen as well as the comic. I recognize they're two different things, but that whole concept of every piece of literature that was written in the Victorian era is canon. It all counts. That fascinates me. Yeah, that that was the exact aesthetic of that game uh, in the personality section. I mean, you've got uh, uh, 
Nikolai uh, Tesla, and you've got, you know, Sherlock Holmes, and you've got, you know, everybody, you know, real and unreal. And uh, and the concept on that one was that um, uh, Dr. Wells, the, uh, the scientist, did a time experiment, and it fractured time throughout Earth. And, and that's why it's called Century's Edge, that all of Earth is kind of hung out in this, like, perpetual Victorian moment. And there's different pockets that are, like, prehistoric and some that are futuristic. Uh, but the technology uh, in, in most of it can't get past the Victorian era. And uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's got, you know, I, I tried to go just real deep on it as far as, like, the equipment and stuff is all pulled from old Sears uh, uh, robust catalogs with, you know, the real, you know, wood etching images and stuff with them and all that. It was fun. I, oh, my goodness. Every time we talk... We, I, I feel like we just form the stronger connection of, of mutual <laughs> interests. This is why I love you coming on my show and, and going on your show. Um, it's fun. Yeah, I, I, again, I did not know this about you. I didn't know this game existed. So, yeah, th this is uh, this is exciting to find out about. <laughs> yeah, so anyhow, yeah, that's when I got exposed to uh, Sword and Planet, the, the concept mm -hmm. of it, the first time I actually read some of those books. And, and, you know, there are, there are some more Sword and Planet novels that were written in the 60s and 70s, but nothing quite hits it like those did. I mean, the, the ones that are 60s and 70s are more of like your, uh, your dying earth, your ring world type stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not quite the same feel. And, you know, for those of you that are going to go out and read some of those old ones, be prepared. It is, you know, 120, you know, 40 years ago. There's for those novels that are really, you know, sexist and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But if you can get past that and just like look for the the, the, the inspirable moments, um, they're really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for for anyone looking for a true entry point, uh, like that's accessible and somewhat more modern in its sensibilities, if you watch the Disney John Carter movie. It's actually really good. Ignore the fact that it was a flop. It's it's a really decent movie, and it really kind of sets you up for this is what the genre is as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, and and from there, like you know, pick up a collection of John Carter uh, books. There, there, there is a tendency in Sword and Planet fiction to be kind of stupid and and weird and. Uh, Basically, what I'm trying to say is don't read Mission Earth. Whatever you can do, don't don't avoid Mission Earth. <laughs> I don't even know if that technically counts, but don't give L. Ron Hubbard any of your money. Uh, don't read Mission Earth. It's not good. Um, but uh, the old Flash Gordon comics uh, is another <clears throat> way to kind of see some of that. Um, I mean, even even the the Flash Gordon movie from the, yeah. the late seventies, you know, with the Queen soundtrack, that's mm -hmm. that's got some real Sword and Planet feel to it. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And and part of what I wanted to discuss with you, and we're also going to talk about this next week, just to let everyone know that it, this is something that's really kind of caught me. Why do you think the Sword and Planet genre isn't around anymore? Like, wh what do you think? replaced it 
uh, you know, where did it go? Basically, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, and then I have some mm. some thoughts of my own that I that I want to discuss with you. Huh? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is um, we, we know too much. You know, we as a race of people, we we think we're so brilliant, and it's hard to look at that stuff and, and be able to dismiss things that we know can't be possible. You know, we're, we're so we're so educated scientifically that we're like, well, you know, you can't, none of, none of our solar systems inhabitable. We know this, you know, Oh, uh, you know, we, we know there can't be magic. We know there can't be, you know, uh, alien beings of multiple different, uh, uh, morphologies on the same planet. That wouldn't make sense evolutionally. Um, you know, it, it's the, the ability to suspend disbelief, uh, and to be able to do that as a, as a sacrifice for entertainment, I just, I don't think a lot of people can do that anymore. Uh, we just don't have that creative mindset of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this leap of, of faith and, and accept this world as a reality and see what, where it takes me. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So I think there were two things that kind of made, uh, it kind of made Sword and Planet look like a fossil. The first one is Dune. I think Dune really <laughs> took the concepts of uh, Sword and Planet and just evolved them. And then I think even beyond Dune, I think Star Wars replaced yeah. that that desire for fantasy but in space that Sword and Planet kind of played up on. I think Star Wars really took that and and shot it off in a different direction so that when people think about fantasy in space, what they think about is Jedi rather than John Carter. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right on both accounts. Uh, you know, definitely, uh, uh, it's really hard to go because Star Wars is so, uh, such a push on all those elements to the point that, you know, you don't have any real just swords or whatever thing. Everything's, you know, got some sort of technology to it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's now kind of almost its own genre. So yeah, I, I can see where you're going on that. You know. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of sad because, you know, even though it's the same thing with pulp heroes and superheroes, even though the superhero kind of came up and replaced the, uh, you know, the shadow or the Phantom, or, you know, kind of those precursors to superheroes that you would see in, uh, like, dime novels of the 20s and 30s. I think there's still a desire for people to see something like The Shadow continue to exist, even, like, if you said it in the time period that, you know, The Shadow was most popular in. I think the same is true of uh, Sword and Planet. I, I do think people would be intrigued by this idea of uh, like a, a Conan the Barbarian in space, essentially, is what a lot of these stories amount to. The, this idea of a stranger happening upon some kind of portal to another planet where everything is foreign and alien to them, and because of the different environments, they also find that they have a lot of uh, physical strength most of the time and mm -hmm. the way yeah, that some, yeah. Yeah. 
I think there's there's still a lot of cool things to be mined there, and so I'm glad that at least one other person is is thinking in that headspace. And so you know, it, it'll be cool to get players back into that kind of environment, and you'll have maybe one or two players who will be like, oh, you know, I've read. Uh, princess of mars you know th this is interesting but you'll have so many other players who are like what's going on what are we doing here because they just don't know so you know i yeah. i'm glad that you're um kind of living in the space especially with mutant crawl classics which i think is like prime for that well i don't uh james if you're still there if you want to roll the the uh, art reel there um so this i just got this today it's not it's not the final uh, version, um, <laughs> but uh, coming up here on this art reel, you're going to see the actual cover illustration that's going to be on the Lost Citadel or the Time Lost Citadel. Yep. Um, not that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all good. It, it might be a little bit here, but um, <laughs> you're going to see it. It's going to be uh, you'll, you'll have a, a Martian wizard shooting a little spell off, and you'll have the mutants uh, fighting against them, a little rock guy coming out of the ground. And then <laughs> in the very back, you get to see Goznar, who's the the big kind of deity thing. There's a the little teaser for it. That's uh, by uh, Christopher Tupa. He did that art, and it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and some of the art that you guys saw at the beginning there, here, here on the screen right now is the uh, the cover art that Lou was describing. Uh, but right, some of the that. you that you're seeing here, um, at least some of the stuff from the beginning of the loop, uh, is actually from Dare Luck Club, which is the other uh, game that you have here. Uh, and, and there's more Dare Luck Club on uh, the screen right now. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, triple dog dare, as you call it, uh, that, that you've got going on uh, with, with Dare Luck Club in this uh, very Scooby-Doo scenario of a haunted amusement park that, that we can see here on this uh, this cover here. Yeah, so, um, so first off, I, I want to apologize to my, my one or two fans out there for the Dare Luck Club. Uh, <laughs> this uh, Manacious Midways is the triple dog dare that I'm coming out with next. And mm. it's, it was supposed to come out like, I don't know, man, back in August. And, you know, here it's still not, you know, I'm still probably looking at June before it gets released. And it's just one of those things that Dare Luck Club is my favorite thing to write for. I really enjoy writing it. Um, it's my own game, so I feel at home in it. But it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> um, mm. And the Mutant Crawl Classic stuff, it does. I mean, like, it, it sells well. Uh, I've had a lot of a lot of people have a lot of interest in it. And so it's kind of like, by, by doing the Mutant Crawl stuff, which I also enjoy doing, and I, I try to do a, a really good job at, but by doing it, I can then afford to do better stuff for the Dare Luck Club. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, a wife and a mistress kind of scenario. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so... Uh, so this next one, Manacious Midway, uh, the Triple Dog Dare Adventure Packs have three different adventures all set on the same map. Uh, so there's three on that one. Uh, the first adventure is called uh, Night of the Bandersnatch. Uh, and it's uh, basically this idea that uh, the, the, the Darelock kids have this dog that got killed. Okay, they died or whatever, got ran over, I don't know. Um, but they decide that they're going to use this uh, rumor that if you play this album backwards, uh, that uh, you can hear these spells that the, the hard rock band uh, incorporates in their music. And one of the spells is supposed to bring the dead back to life. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning of the game, the players uh, 
get like a little snippet of what the, the song sounds like backwards and they got to figure out what that's telling them to do. And part of it brings them to this amusement park where there's this ride called uh, the Satanic Panic. It's like an indoor dark house ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in that ride, there's a cauldron with the signs of the Zodiac on it, which is part of the prescription that's given when you play the record backwards. So they, they go on Halloween weekend. The park has like a, a one, one day slash night event. And uh, they go on that night to get the cauldron and to do this thing to bring uh, the, the, the dog back to life. And uh, needless to say, uh, no matter what they do, they're going to get something wrong because part of the, the record backwards is very hard to understand. They're going to have to do some guesswork. Mm-hmm. And um, chaos ensues. And then they got to solve the chaos and, and put things back to rest. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's that one. Uh, there's one that a, a great friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Sullivan, wrote called uh, Roll for Initiative, where the kids uh, go to the park and uh, they're, they're playing a, a game of D&D. They, they kind of broke into the park after hours, uh, kind of like the, the last days of summer before school starts, and they're trying to finish out their campaign. Um, and some weird things happen, uh, and you kind of get into this almost uh, mazes and monsters kind of scenario in that one. Uh, but he's got a real clever ending uh, a real interesting reason for why the, the, the game seems to be coming to life. Uh, and it's real kind of, it's, it's got an ending that's almost a tearjerker. Um, but I don't want to give too much of that away. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the final the final piece on it's my favorite. Um, and I don't think I got any of the art in there, but I actually had uh, Ed Bickford do some art for this one. It's called uh, The Day Earth Had No Tomorrows. And in it, there's aliens that are kind of infiltrating the park. And they've got this ride called the uh, Solar Conquest. And uh, when people get on the ride, they get off seeming different than what they did before. And long story short, the uh, aliens are actually trying to steal tachyons uh, from Earth so that they can kind of undo some damage they did to their planet. They live in like a parallel dimension. And they're Mm -hmm. basically kind of trading Earth for their world. And the neat thing about that adventure is that it's non-sequential. You actually start off playing at the ending of the adventure and you get these little tickets that tell you like things you remember, things that, you know, that you're allowed to write down that happened at the end. And you're kind of set up to where the end fails and, and, and the characters lose, but then they're thrown back in time to other points and the things they remember start to make sense and they can kind of use them to figure out a way to get back to the ending again and, and get things right for the final of the game. Um, so it was a real challenge to ride. It's something I, I was like, oh, man, this would be fun to do. Can I pull it off? And the play tests I've ran of it so far really suggest that it does work and people have a lot of fun trying to figure things out, you know, in a non-sequential order uh, to, to see how it all kind of comes together at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one thing I'll say about Dare Luck Club, because you mentioned it's it's kind of your, your side piece, uh, as it were, Um Kids on bikes can kiss my ass. Tales from the Loop, no thank you. Dare Luck Club is the best. We're going to play an RPG that's Goonies-like game out there. I will continue to say that if you want a game that is that particular genre, you know, you want to run a game where you're you're all kind of like, you know, the little rascals or uh, Monster Squad, or, you know, whatever your entry point to that particular genre is. And we talked a lot about this the first time you were on here. Dare Luck Club is your game. 
man. I'm, I'm blushing. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know I love it. And I, I got a, a nice group of people that uh, any virtual con I'm at that, that sign up for the games, I get to see the same folks coming in to see what the next adventure is. And uh, uh, so I'm excited about it. And I love it. And I'm, I'm really touched that, uh, that you're strong on it too, man. I, I, it, it's one, I saw it and I was, when I initially saw what it was, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. But then when you sent me the book in, you know, like leading up to our first episode and I read through it, I could see the affection for the classics of of that particular genre. I could see all of the work that you put in. And my my initial thought, the reason why I was skeptical at first, so many of these games are Stranger Things is popular. Let's make Stranger Things the RPG. What I saw in yours was there was a whole genre of film and TV and and shorts before Stranger Things that allowed Stranger Things to be what it was. And your appreciation was very much for what came before. You, you seemed very, very steeped in the classics of that particular genre. As we you know discussed last time you were on here, uh, and that's where my appreciation for Dare Luck Club came from was just kind of seeing that this was not a another trend chaser. This this was something made out of love. So that you know that again, I I, I could keep going, but you know, <laughs> Dare Luck not. Club is fantastic. It is it is amazing Thank if you, you are into that particular. Uh, genre of film and want to play that at, as a role-playing game. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, and that is that's absolutely true as far as like when I was writing it. Uh, one, I, I actually wrote it before Stranger Things came out, yeah. uh, but it had been on on, the, on my computer for quite a while before it got published. But uh, it was it, it wasn't trying to chase like you said. It's not trying to chase any one uh, specific type of adolescent adventure. It was trying to be a, a bridge to all of them, and I, and I think it does it pretty well. Mm. So, yep, uh, absolutely. Now, uh, w one other thing that we need to discuss uh, while you're on here, you do have a show of your own, uh, as we've <laughs> talked about here, uh, This Old Dungeon. And I've been on the show, uh, for anyone out there, Boneheads one and all, if you have not listened to This Old Dungeon... Uh, it it is a fun time to say the very least. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so you know, especially here in your new house, uh, Valor Studios, man. You, you, I mean, you're folks. Uh, okay, so Ryan's show is amazing. It's well produced, and uh, in, in, in well thought out, and all that. Um, our show, this whole dungeon, it, it's more like cable access. It's kind of uh, <laughs> just a bunch of a bunch of dudes sitting there talking about whatever comes up. Uh, we were, you know, we ran on for, you know, most episodes are over an hour. Some are even like two hours, but uh, we have fun doing it. And if other people enjoy it, that's great. Uh, we always try to pick some old system or old adventure, talk about it, talk about what works in it and what doesn't, what we do if we were running it. Um, we get a lot of cool uh, guest hosts like Ryan here, and uh, they get to pick their own thing that they want to bring with them. And then at the end, the, the part that I love is at the end of the episode, we have our geek credit and we get to ask questions to the, uh, the guest host and kind of like a quiz show sort of scenario. That's always fun. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And and you get to find out exactly how obsessed with Rush I am. Yeah, yeah, man. This guy, I, I, I couldn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even get him to stutter on it, man. He just, I wouldn't even get through the list of ABC, and he'd be that one, this one. That's the answer. You know, it was great. And and while I was on the show, we actually talked about uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. We talked about bringing Dark Sun over to Dungeon Crawl Classics, which, again, it it felt like a a hand and a glove that you know were made for each other. And, and I kid you not, uh, I think it was maybe the weekend after we uh, we dropped that episode. There were at least two uh, Facebook postings I saw of somebody talking about doing that. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> nice. I need to hook them up with Ryan. That is a game on this. Mm-hmm. I should. I need to do some revisions to that document that I made. Uh, j- just to let everyone know, I basically created two classes and several tables for turning uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics or turning Dark Sun into a DCC compatible uh, system. And I need to just put that somewhere. I obviously can't charge money for it because I don't own any of that stuff. I don't own <laughs> DCC. I don't own Dark Sun. There's, you know, yeah. The, there's Thrycreen that that I don't own. There's moles that I don't own. You know, all all that stuff. There's a lot of other people's intellectual property there that that I can't mess with. Uh, but I need to put that resource out for anyone who wants to run any kind of Dark Sun stuff in uh, the year of our Lord 2022. Because I'll tell you from experience. I've run it in 5e. It's fine. It would be better in Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah, I think all of us agreed on on that episode that it's, like you said, hand in glove. Um, you know, it, you know. I, let me ask you this: Do you think uh, Dark Sun is Sword and Planet? I think it has any of those elements? Definitely. It's um, especially once you get towards kind of the end of its life in Second Edition they really brought in a lot of the uh, more Sword and Planet aspects. And and what they said kind of from the beginning was that it, it was essentially their take on Jack Vance's dying planet or dying Earth. Mm-hmm. So they really wanted to bring in the idea that the world before whatever apocalypse uh, turned Athos into what it was had some of that advanced technology. So you could even, and, and in fact, in my conception of what Dark Sun would be in um, in Five E, I use a lot of Mutant Crawl classics. So there, a lot of those elements kind of are brought into uh, a DCC Dark Sun, where you know you you would be dealing with very much a Sword and Planet type uh, scenario. Yeah, I mean, I. I... I'm not as well versed as some of the the later stuff in that game, but uh, definitely that the feel of like the the different cultures on the planet and, mm-hmm. and just the, the idea of this big barren space between them and that just does kind of have that resonance of the sword and planet thing. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I, I'll say even to kind of like drive this home that you need to run your Dark Sun games in DCC. When I had Harley. Harley Stroh on the show, and I mentioned that. He was like, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, 
not to toot my own horn here, and I'm definitely not the first person to come up with this. I, I'll put that out there. I, I'm sure other people have arrived at the same conclusion, but yeah, it, DCC and, and Dark Sun, they go together. Sure. But yeah, I mean, there there are several fantastic pe people, even, you know, more talented than myself who have been on this old dungeon. Uh, it's a great <laughs> show. Um, and, it, you know, you're like you're talking, it's you... It's, uh, is it still the same, uh, general hosts as it was last time yeah, I was on? So we, yeah, so we, we originally, it was me and, and two friends of mine, Briggy and Thomas, um, but, uh, and their husband and wife, and, uh, Thomas had some health, uh, complications that he had to deal with, so mm -hmm. he kind of needed to kind of drop out. He may come back, I don't know, I mean, he's, he's doing a lot, lot better, uh, God willing, you know, be back, uh, sometime. But um, so in the meantime, I didn't want to let the show die. Uh, so I kind of did a, an all call and eventually uh, Bill Barsh of Pacesetter Games and uh, Edwin Maggie of uh, Frog God Games uh, answered the call and came on. And so, yeah, we've been hanging. And it's kind of fun because we all have uh, different experiences as far as like when we got into gaming and what kind of games we really like. We all have some tangent to the publishing industry. So there's there's some nuances we can get into about that as we're having a discussion on the the show, um, but, but largely we just all like to talk. So mm. got that going for us. But yeah, it was it, it was a daunting task to come on the show with with Lou and with Bill, who's done uh, so many amazing things with Pace Setter and Edwin, who you know is with Frog God and Frog God. You guys have followed the show. You know you know how great Frog God is. Uh, and and all the amazing stuff that they put. It, it was daunting for me to come out onto the show and and be like, yeah, I, I've never published anything, but you know, here's here's my take. Here's what I would do. Oh, we had a lot of fun. And it's you know one thing I learned uh, doing that podcast. And it's again, folks. I mean, it's real low key. I mean, like I don't know nothing about what I'm doing. I'm just just doing it for fun. Um, but uh, I learned that like. You should, if you want to talk to somebody in the industry, if you want them on a show, like a podcast or whatever, you should just ask. I mean, there's so many people, you know, like yourself and uh, um, Bill Slavisek and, and uh, Ben Burns and all, all sorts of people we've had on there that's like, well, you know, maybe I'll want to be on and like, throw them a little message on Facebook. And yeah, yeah, you know, no big deal. Let's do it. Hmm. So uh, that's been fun kind of getting to know some of those folks and uh, learning about the industry from other people's perspectives going through it. Just don't ask them to get up too early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Because that's... Yeah. I, I, I've got serious, serious FOMO for a North Texas RPG convention this year. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm missing it for really the best reason to miss a convention ever. Uh, but... You know the the podcasters' breakfast that you were uh, suggesting on the on the Facebook group. Uh, as soon as you said that, I was like, I would love, I would do that in a minute. <laughs> I I would, I'd love that. But everyone's like, eh, that's really early in the morning. Like, oh come on, you're not sleeping anyway. It's a convention. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, 
my thing is, I mean, if I, if we do it at night, no one's going to be there. I mean, all right. the really yeah. good hot games are at night, and then after they're over, everybody's at the bar. I mean, nobody wants to go hang out and record something at, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just, when I'm at the convention, I'm like what you just said. I don't sleep hardly. You know, I sleep <laughs> just enough to try to, you know, have energy to, to get up and go again and, you know, go, go, go. So. Mm. Yep. Yeah, you can you can probably ask Skeeter Green about how ignorant tired Ryan is at at uh one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday at a convention. But it again, a, a morning a morning thing like that would be amazing. And for some reason I've always wanted to put breakfast and Dungeons and Dragons together. I think it's just because I love both of them. So, you know, that, it seems natural to me. I think, is it Tracy Hickman that runs, uh, uh, what is it, Breakfast and Dragons or something like that? Uh, it's like one of his yep. common convention uh, events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's why I, when, I, when I... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, finish uh, out. That, that's why when I first started doing um live streams i tried to make danishes and dragons a thing it just it, you know it didn't work out i was not my heart wasn't in it um i it, i just you know it wasn't a great show so that's why we don't do it anymore but uh i really wanted danishes and dragons to be a thing because so of what, that what was desire. that about it was so just what did you do on danishes and it was usually just me talking about just specific topics, but I would also have a breakfast food that I had prepared. And so it was the balancing of I'm doing a talk show with I've got breakfast food here that didn't really work out. Um, and I tried to bring guests on as well. And that, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Again, it was I, I would do it at uh I think 9 a.m. Central Time. So for some people, that was super early. I tried to hit a low traffic point on Twitch, but you know, ultimately, people were just like, "I don't really want to get up that early to do your show," and you know, it, it didn't work out. It maybe it's worth uh, re-examining at some point down the line, but you know, it it didn't work out. Yeah, because you would think your your Venn diagram of uh, gamers and foodies is kind of almost the same circle, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's got to be a, a market out there for that or a viewership out there for that. Absolutely. I, like, oh. how many people go to North Texas just because they can get really good barbecue and play games? <laughs> so that's one of my my big things I'm excited about this year is I'm actually driving down there, mm -hmm. and so like. Once I get there, you know, the world's my oyster. I can go to all those places everybody's always talking about. Mm -hmm. Hard eight. You want to go to hard eight? That's that's good Hard one. Eight. Just a few minutes from the hotel. Well, it's it's amazing. Will do. In fact, you can probably say, get in on. Good. You can probably get in on some kind of uh, Skeeter, Casey Christopherson, Levi Combs trip to uh to heart eight <laughs> at some point I'm, they do that at some point during the convention so it, it probably wouldn't be that hard to to get in on that yeah i'm sure i can weasel my way in between those knuckleheads <laughs> they're always pretty kind absolutely 
But yeah, I, I, I really do like the idea of kind of bringing everyone together uh, in that regard, because there's a lot of us who do shows like this. And so, you know, some, some way for us to all network at these conventions, I think is very valuable for, for what we're doing, because in a lot of cases, we're not even aware of each other. I don't know how yeah. many people in, in that group who would say, you know, we're going to, you know, we're we're going to show up at this you know, podcaster's breakfast. I don't know how many of those people have heard of Rolling Bones. Uh, and I don't know if I've heard of their show, you know, so it, it would be cool to kind of bring those worlds together. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I listen to now podcast wise, I, I had no clue, never, never saw them on my podcatcher as being a recommended show, but just happened to either hear somebody talk about it or, uh, you know, heard about the show on another show. Um, and it's, it's so much entertainment, you know, and it's, uh, it's a shame that we, we can't get more, um, I don't know, just, just eyes on, on all the shows that are out there that, you know, people could be listening to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're very intelligent. We have a lot of things to say. You can only just listen to us. But I really enjoy, uh, you know, with the This Old Dungeon is we, we get a lot of letters. And that's just so fun, man. That tickles me every time when I, I look on the mailbox and somebody's, you know, sent a, an email asking some silly question or, or, you know, talking about their their experience with the game. Um, you know, that was something that just, you know, I, I mean, I think we got our first letter maybe after the first episode um was it the second episode I, anyhow it just blew me away to, oh you know somebody's listening and they want to you know communicate and that was just cool you know hmm. absolutely and for uh for dice barbarian in chat here eggs and crits is a nice name shrimp and crits is better <laughs> shrimp and crits might have to go more towards we're gonna do like cajun food and uh play rpgs but maybe maybe you can mix that with Deadlands or with East Texas University or something like that. Uh, but, you know, egg, eggs and crits is nice, but I like shrimp and crits just a little bit better. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta find a pun that uses biscuits and gravy. That, that would be the ultimate for me. Hmm. One of my initial ideas for Danishes and Dragons was it was going to be biscuits and beholders, but... Uh -huh. But yeah, fitting gravy in there is because I mean, you, you are on to something there. Biscuits and gravy is the uh, the pinnacle of breakfast foods. That it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I pity people who aren't in rural areas or, you know, are in are in the northeast or, or the, you know, the Pacific Northwest or stuff who don't have ready access to biscuits and gravy uh like you do in the midwest or like i do in the southeast but now i gotta ask you know if you, you, you meet a connoisseur of biscuits and gravy and there's only one question you can ask them you know what this question is right brown gravy or white gravy white gravy yes that's the only right answer absolutely absolutely I mean, like it's sausage gravy, so you gotta. It, it's it's white gravy. Come on, come on now. <laughs> Even uh, again, talking about Texas, the chicken fried steak, white gravy. 
Come on. <laughs> oh, now we're just talking about delicious foods, and this is not not good for me. <laughs> uh, oh, I was going to show you. Uh, I can't remember if, I, if, if you've seen this or not. Uh, so these are my uh, giveaways uh, for cons. These are uh, mm -hmm. iron-on badges. Nice. Yeah, I got mutated one, and then this is an older one. This is the Dare Luck Club mm -hmm. insignia thing. Here. So that's what I'm. I got those all set to go here as we enter the summer con season. Mm -hmm. but, uh, Patches are great. I I wish I had some kind of like battle jacket or vest to put them on, <laughs> but I I like patches. They're fun. Yeah, my daughters and I. Well, actually, now my son too. That he's now that he's older. But we uh, every summer we go somewhere camping with some friends of mine from high school and their kids. We call it the the daddies and kids camp out, and uh, so it's one of these. Uh, moments where you know what happens there you know none of the wives find out about you know that's the rules the kids you know what happens at the daddy's camp out stays at the daddy's camp out so we, we do some crazy stuff but um back when we started doing this i don't know a decade ago i would buy a patch at every place we went camping and i'd sew it onto my sleeping bag so like the, the first i don't know two and a half feet of my sleeping bag is just patches thrown up and down <laughs> nice. on it so so I figure if nobody wants these, at least I get some patches to put on my season bag. Yeah. Nothing else. Uh, Absolutely. And I, I would love... I, I know, like, I've got a friend who has the battle jacket with all the band patches of, of the bands that he's seen. I'd love to do that with RPGs. Uh, I just... I have a denim jacket that I don't want to put patches on because it's a nice one. <laughs> but... Yeah, I get that. <laughs> It's got a it's fur collar and everything. I love that thing. Like a like a bomber's wool or yeah yeah it's um yeah so it's like a Levi jacket but it's uh it's nicely lined it's got the it's got the fur collar it's super warm uh it, it it's just it's a super nice jacket and I wouldn't want to it's also it doesn't look beat up enough to be uh -huh. something that has a bunch of patches on it. There, there's a certain level of wear that a jacket needs to get before you can start slapping patches on it. <laughs> For sure. But you can't put patches on a Hawaiian shirt. That's they're too thin. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. <laughs> they just uh, they'd get lost. You know, you yeah. wouldn't. They don't stand out in a shirt like a Hawaiian shirt. So. Yeah, and Hawaiian shirts are busy enough as it is. But we do love them. They're they're actually a recent discovery for me, and part of it was talking with you and the uh, the Hawaiian shirt tradition that you have that allowed you to become the Luau Lu that we all know and love today. Uh, I was thinking about it, I was like, I need Hawaii, I need more Hawaiian shirts, and so I actually got my dad and my grandpa to participate in. We get matching Hawaiian shirts for every beach trip we go on. Nice. That's awesome. Every time you go in your closet, there's a little trip down memory lane. That's great. Yep, and and this is the uh, this is the most recent one. So what uh, what beach does that represent? Oh, this is uh, we go to Garden City Beach in South Carolina every year, so it's always the same place. Uh, but this was the this was uh, 2021. Was this Hawaiian right. shirt? It's got the actual pineapples on it, right? That's what I'm yes, seeing. Yes, it does. 
Absolutely. Yeah, my very first one was a, a shirt with pineapples and, and uh, some flowers off of him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But one of these days, I will figure out how to create a Roland Bones Hawaiian shirt. And when I do, I will be sure to give you one. Uh, well, we are. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just I was looking for something to talk about, but you're about to, to tell us where we're on time. So go for it. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're actually kind of running up against our uh, our time limit for tonight. So what I want to do is turn things over to you as far as, you know, telling people where and when they'll be able to uh, back these you know, campaigns that we've talked about tonight, where they can find you online, and uh, what conventions you're going to be at coming up. All right, so uh, this very week, uh, when is this weekend in? I don't know, GaryCon, online. Uh, I've got two games I'm running at the Darelock Club. Uh, so I got that going on this weekend. And then I'm, uh, I, I got a little span here where I had to take some time off to make sure projects get finished. So I think my next convention after that is in Illinois at HeroiCon. And then after that, I'm at North Texas. And then I'm still lining up my summer, uh, summer of games. I'll probably make it to Gen Con, uh, just kind of begrudgingly, because I think Goodman Games really wants a strong show of support from the third-party publishers there, so I'm going to try to do them a solid since they did me one. Um, you can always find my game company, Dandelion Games, uh, on Facebook. Uh, it's a Dandelion, uh, D-A-N-D-Y. No, I just thought right. I don't know. Anyhow, it's not like the flower. It's D-A-N-D-Y-L-I-N-E, uh, and you can find that on Facebook, and we always post what we're working on uh, up there. You can get most of my games uh, off Amazon, off DriveThru. Uh, the Kickstarter for the new one, the Time Lost Citadel, that's going to be starting uh, probably early next week. We're going to start putting out teasers probably on Wednesday when I get the final version of the cover art back. Um, and that's, uh, that's going to run through April. Uh, my, my goal right now, uh, if it, it's such a huge project. I mean, this, the manuscript alone is over 80 pages, and that's like just small font, no pictures, no nothing. Uh, so it's kind of created a headache on how I'm going to actually publish that. So um, the plan right now is a Perfect Bound uh, book, something similar to this version of the, the Seekers that you would get off of Amazon. Uh, but then uh, the, the basic version would be this with a uh, fold-out map that would come inside it with all the locations on the planet and stuff on it. Uh, but if we can get enough support on it, it will actually be uh, changed to a uh, saddle stitch book with like a, a mini planet guide, something similar to Tom's books here, uh, that goes inside that and the fold-out map, uh, which is my preferred way to print it, but I don't know if I can get the, the numbers to work out right on that and, unless we get a lot of support. So please look for that. It'll be on the MCC Facebook page. It'll be all across Facebook. Um, eventually it'll be on Goodman Games. Uh, so we'll, we'll be kickstarting that soon. And, and, uh, and then after that, uh, as soon as I can fulfill that one, you'll see the Kickstarter for the Manacious Midway's Derla Club uh, Triple Dog Dare go up. Absolutely. Guys, definitely jump on that. Um, I'll hold it up again. This uh, this first adventure for Seekers of the Unknown is fantastic. Uh, so definitely let's, uh, let's make uh, all of Lou's dreams come true for Time Lost Citadel for that campaign because I want to see that saddle-stitched uh, version and I'll definitely definitely try to you know be on board with that one as well um so guys that's gonna do it for our show tonight 
Uh, Lou, thank you so much for coming on again. I, I love talking with you, and you know, hopefully we can we can do this again uh, at some point because uh, it's always great just to to have conversations with you. Oh man, I have a lot of fun, and uh, anytime, every time, Ryan, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Absolutely. So, guys, that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, just to let you know what's coming up next week. Next week's the big one. This is a huge, huge show that we were able to pull together here uh, to close out the month of March. We have Hanker Infernell. You know him. You love him. You've seen his stuff. You've seen Runehammer on YouTube. And you've seen him here twice on Rolling Bones. We also have Professor Dungeon Master making his second appearance. He's going to be on here with Hank Renfernel the first time they have done anything together on the internet. We'll be here on Rolling Bones. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm putting together the topics for it, uh, you know, right now as we speak. So this is going to be a, you know, kind of a giant-sized, amazing Rolling Bones episode. All of them are great, but this one you really want to check out. So that'll be next week. But until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you guys next time.